this week, LBI Media and David's Bridal file for Chapter 11. Sears receives approval to sell medium-term notes. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to the week in Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Research Weekly Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in the news of distressed debt and bankruptcies. I'm Karen Lang, reporting from Reorg's offices in New York City. This week, Director of Credit Research, Mark Fisher, sits down with Senior Distressed Debt Analyst, Kyle Owusu, and Emerging Markets Reporter, Erwin Sifuentes, to discuss Latin America credits, Odebrecht, GPA, and Mexico City Airport Trust. It's Sunday, November 25th. Sears on Monday received authorization from Judge Robert Drain to sell the medium-term notes issued by Sears Roebuck Acceptance Corporation, or SRAC. The approval was granted after the debtors reached an agreement with Cyrus Capital Partners to resolve the fund's objections. Judge Drain approved the modified order. On Tuesday, Quinn Emanuel, on behalf of a group of CDS holders, sent a comment letter to ISDA's Credit Determinations Committee, asserting that Cyrus, through language recently added to the Medium Term Notes, or MTN, sale order, intends to try to obtain, quote, an adverse finding as to deliverability of the MTNs and torpedo the very auction that the order approved. Cyrus's actions were, quote, blatantly designed to improperly influence the DC's determination on deliverability of the MTNs, alleges the letter, which was reviewed by Reorg. The MTNs are included in a list of securities that the ISDA committee is determining whether should be deliverable into Sears CDS auction. On Tuesday, the committee voted 12 to 3 that the MTNs satisfy the deliverable obligation characteristics for purposes of the auction to be held with respect to SRAC. Earlier in the week, certain second lien loans were voted against as being deliverable by a magnitude of 8 to 7, and according to that decision, the second lien vote result would be sent for external review. David Sprato filed for Chapter 11 on Monday, with a plan supported by 85% of term loan claims and 97% of unsecured notes claims, including bondholders Oak Tree and Solus. The dip includes $60 million in new money and a roll-up of the existing $125 million ABL. Term lenders would receive $300 million in take-back paper in the form of an exit facility and 76.25% of the reorganized common stock. In addition, lenders wishing to participate in the $40 to $60 million priority exit facility would also receive an additional 15% of the equity. And secured note holders would receive 8 and 3 quarter percent of the equity, plus warrants for up to 20% of the equity struck at a price which would make pre-petition lenders whole. At the debtor's first day hearing, Natasha Labovitz of Debevoise and Plimpton, on behalf of the debtors, stressed the importance of moving through the cases quickly. Counsel added that bridal is, quote, unique among retailers in that it is absolutely necessary to have a brick and mortar presence throughout the process of brides ordering their gowns and attending fittings prior to receiving the actual wedding gown. Lavovitz said that the debtor's, quote, fully prepackaged plan of reorganization contemplates no operational change. In regards to needing to move quickly, Labovitz explained that David's Bridal's selling season is later than other retailers, and that peak buying is in the first calendar quarter. According to Labovitz, 
the company typically sees engagements happen over the holidays, with many weddings in the summer and dresses purchased in the first quarter. Labovitz said that the parties knew that beginning the bankruptcy this week was the last possible chance to file for bankruptcy given the importance of being able to communicate to brides that their purchase is safe and the company will not liquidate in January. The combined disclosure statement and confirmation hearing is scheduled for January 4th. LBI Media, the largest privately held minority-owned Spanish-language broadcaster in the United States, filed for Chapter 11 on Wednesday in Delaware. The debtors enter bankruptcy with a prearranged plan of reorganization and a $38 million dip commitment from pre-petition creditor HPS Investments. However, CFO Brian Kay cautioned in his first day declaration that there has been no settlement to resolve the litigation with second lien note holders in New York State Court, despite the efforts of the debtors and HPS investments. The contemplated plan provides for, among other things, HPS to exchange its first lien notes for majority equity interest in the reorganized company. Though the plan also provides that the secondly note holder group, quote, may obtain 100% of the equity interests in the reorganized company to the extent it votes to accept the plan and is willing to satisfy HPS's claims under the DIP facility and firstly notes in full without the need to satisfy the make whole obligation. According to the declaration, the contemplated plan and RSA would allow the debtors to run a marketing process for a period of up to 75 days after the petition date. Starting immediately, the declaration says, quote, LBI and its advisors intend to solicit interest and bids from potential strategic and financial investors, including the junior note holder group, to sponsor an alternative value maximizing restructuring transaction. The debtors propose in their confirmation timeline an April-slash-May 2019 effective date. On the island of Puerto Rico, in a milestone for the restructuring of COFINA, the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Corporation, Judge Laura Taylor Swain approved the disclosure statement for COFINA's amended plan of adjustment on Tuesday. At a hearing in New York, Judge Swain said she would approve the DS, subject to certain additional changes and the inclusion of supplemental information. The PROMESA Oversight Board filed amended versions of the COFINA plan and disclosure statement last Friday, which included modifications to the treatment of junior COFINA bond claims insured by Assured Guarantee. The updated plan also added new defined terms related to government release claims and government releases. The amended disclosure statement provided recovery estimates for the various classes laid out in the plan, as well as illustrative recovery detail broken out by consideration type for holders of senior and subordinate COFINA bond claims. In approving the disclosure statement, Judge Swain noted that several of the previous objections had been withdrawn and she overruled the remaining objections, although she warned that some of the issues that remained before the court, including those related to confirmation, are, quote, serious. Early on in Tuesday's hearing, Brian Rosen of Proskauer Rose, on behalf of the Oversight Board, disclosed a pension payment forecast error in the latest Commonwealth fiscal plan, adding that it is currently analyzing the magnitude error. The board said it expects to complete its review by December 7th followed by disclosure of the revised forecasts. Outside of the courthouse, Riog reported on Monday that the Commonwealth government, the Oversight Board, and their advisors are at an advanced stage of documenting a comprehensive plan for, for the transformation of PREPA, 
according to sources close to the process. Jose Ortiz, the CEO for the Electric Power Authority, said that the document is expected to be presented in Washington, D.C. in January or February. Quote, basically, this document is going to say where we are headed, what are the initiatives, and how they will be impacted in terms of whether they are federally funded or not, Ortiz said. He added that the essential aim is to present, quote, a clear panorama that eliminates uncertainty, particularly among any investors who may come in to buy a power plant or participate in the concession of PREPRA's transmission and distribution system, actively being sought by the administration of Governor Ricardo Rosseo. Separately, in a letter to U.S. congressional leaders dated November 19th and released on Tuesday the 20th, Governor Rosseo argued for the need of an extension of the 100% federal cost share for Puerto Rico for FEMA categories A and B after FEMA decided in August not to do so and denied a Commonwealth request for reconsideration earlier on November 9th. Other top red stories of the week were, number one, C-Drill says, although it can use cash to buy back term loan B, liquidity remains valuable resource. Number two, iHeart discloses summary terms of new term loan secured notes. And number three, Noble Group, Singapore's police financial regulators launch investigation into suspected false, misleading statements by Noble Group. And now we turn it over to Connor Skelding, filling in for Jim Holloway, for a look at what's to come in the week ahead. Greetings, and I hope you and your family had a fine Thanksgiving. This is Connor Skelding in New York, filling in for Jim Holloway, who's in Tennessee. The holiday season has more or less officially begun. Nevertheless, there are some important events next week to watch, mostly in court. On Monday, November 26th, earnings continue with third quarter results from Alkeco Scotsman, the provider of modular housing for workers in remote locations, such as oil fields and mines. On Tuesday, November 27th, there will be a second day hearing in PetroQuest, and, just in time for the holidays, the senior-junior dip financing hearing for Sears. Also, a first day hearing is scheduled in Delaware for the LBI media bankruptcy cases. On Wednesday, November 25th, there are closing arguments in the source code dispute in Toys, whose tough holiday season last year was the proximate cause of its bankruptcy filing. There's also an order to show cause hearing in Albertsons and the second day hearing in Gastar. On Thursday, November 29th, there's a disclosure statement hearing in Relativity, and Toys is up again with a confirmation hearing for the Taj debtors. The week ends and December begins on Friday. For Community Choice Financial Group, it's the expiration of the grace period for the missed coupons on their 2019 and 2020 notes. That's all I have. Back to you, Karen. Thanks, Connor. As always, we'll be on the lookout for all of that and more. This week, Reorg's Latin America team discussed the latest on Odebrecht, GPA, and Mexico City Airport Trust. Thanks, Karen. So today, I'm joined by Senior Distressed Debt Analyst for Reorg Emerging Markets, Kyle Owusu, and Erwin Cifuentes, our reporter for the LATAM team focused on the primary market. So today, we're going to discuss a few names, Odebrecht, Brazilian grocer GPA, which is affiliated with larger uh, entity Raleigh, and a situation that's quickly becoming one of the more topical credits we're covering in emerging markets, Mexico City Airport Trust. So Kyle, with that, uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, last time uh, you were here um, a few months ago talking about Odebrecht, and at the time you talked about uh, declining liquidity, near-term maturities, dwindling backlog. Um, so a number of 
issues uh, to say the least um, with with the company. So if you could update us on uh, any new developments there. Sure. On October 25th, Odebrecht Finance Limited, or OFL, entered into a grace period on its 550 million four and three eighths senior unsecured bonds due 2025, saying that it will analyze solutions for its short and longer term financial position in the currently challenging market environment of the engineering and construction industry. So what are the triggers for a restructuring in the near term? So the main trigger would be the the end of the grace period. It's a 30-day grace period, and they entered into it on October 25th. There are cross defaults um, across the capital structure. For example, uh, in the 6% 2023 bond prospectus, um, events of defaults include defaults under any mortgage, indenture, or instrument, which default is caused by failure to pay principal of or premium, if any, or interest on such debt after giving effect to any grace period. And I'm guessing that in response, there are some bondholder groups that are formed? Yes, definitely there are. So you've got a group of OEC bondholders, including Gramercy, BlackRock, Fidelity, and Alliance Bernstein that is organized into an ad hoc group to negotiate with the company. The investors have retained both Davis Polk and Pinheiro Neto as international and domestic legal counsel, respectively, and Rothschild as a financial advisor. OEC is being advised by Molis as financial advisor and Cleary Gottlieb as legal advisor. Uh, so what do you think happens here? You think the company restructures? I mean, this is not an easy case or a, a business. I mean, this is basically a collection of backlog, right? So it's a tough business to restructure around. So how do you think a restructuring would look like? That's a great point. I mean, it's definitely hard um, given the the asset light nature of the business. And as you said, you're essentially restructuring restructuring around the collection of cash flows. And and right now, you know, cash flow is dwindling, um, and Odebrecht risks running out of cash absent shareholder support because uh, the company is not getting advances for new work, and its working capital is tied up in existing projects. Um, So I think a restructuring or liability management exercise in the next one to three years is likely. With that said, the the ad hoc group is going to have to do um, major due diligence uh, before presenting um, any real proposal. Um, you know, so I think that that, 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 as you said, presents some difficulty. Um, you know, maybe you can continue kicking the can down the road with more capital injections from the parent, assuming that the parent can continue to raise capital, um, and then you pay down a meaningful chunk of debt um, after a, a proceeds from um, a sale of Braskem um, and buy yourself time. But in the end, I think that the primary goals of the company should be to raise money um, and cut costs in addition to buying time because the camp- the company can't continue to fund its ongoing debt service expenses. And just for context here, and not saying this is going to happen again like it happened last time, but earlier this year, they um, they delayed the interest payment uh, before and um, kicked the can, if you will, uh, down the road. So how are they able to do it then? Uh, what, what did that, where did they get the capital to do that? 
So at that time, you had um, shareholder support. So you had a, a capital injection from from the parent company um, that was part part of which, at least, was used to to pay down those those interest expenses. And so, you know, you can't really rule out uh, going forward uh, more capital injections. Or, like I said, if you if you if the parent manages to sell its stake in Broschem, uh, perhaps some of that money um, is used to pay down bonds. Great. So, what do you think is next here? Yeah, so um, I guess Odebrecht could make the payment at the end of the grace period. Um, in addition, you could see them agree to a waiver of, of, of an event of default with bondholders and extend the grace period end date, uh, giving the, both parties time to negotiate. Um, or, uh, you know, you could have an event of default where Odebrecht doesn't make the payment and bondholders um, accelerate. Uh, I think based on our conversations, um, the the last option seems less likely. There are uh, incentives, including the, the cross default, but also the ongoing negotiations, negotiations I'm sorry, with, with, um, with Lionel Bissell over the brass camp stake, which would probably be complicated by um, an event of default. Um, so at the end, I think that the, the next the next steps will probably it's hard to tell, of course, but the next step will probably be an extension um, because there is extensive extensive due diligence that's going to be needed before the group the bondholder group can put forth a proposal. Great, uh, thanks for that overview of Odebrecht. Uh, and moving moving along, uh, I want to discuss GPA or Grupo Pau de Azucar. Um, they recently reported wanted to talk about uh, the the numbers here and how the the entity is performing. But before we do, uh, for those that are unfamiliar, can you just quickly explain how this uh, the Brazilian grocer uh, is related to Colombian French grocers, Grupo Exito and, and Casino? Yeah, sure. So um, Casino is owned by a French holding company, Raleigh. And Casino's pockets of value um, include Casino's 55% stake in Grupo Exito and 50% interest in, in a company called Segisor. Um Grupo Exito also owns half of Segisor. And Segisor, through two intermediate hold co's, owns 36.5% of GPA. So essentially Casino and Grupo Exito um, through various companies own stakes of GPA. And uh, then going to, so going to earnings then, how has GPA performed this year? So um, specifically uh, going first um, with Multivirejo, um, in the first quarter actually, uh, the the at least the headline like for like figure was negative two percent um, adjusted for a uh, incident at, at, at one of the uh, at one of the um, grocery stores um, headline growth was actually 1.1 percent um, but that is that is improved over time um, so in the second quarter you had 5.3 percent like for likes and then finally in this most recent quarter you had 6.1 percent um, and GPA has said that uh, the performance reflects um, um, a few things, mainly um, a higher penetration of new loyalty building and personalization tool, tools known as My Discount and My Rewards, um, as well as more dynamic promotions, uh, higher visibility, so making promotions more visible within the stores, um, essentially more promotional activity. Um, Asai is the, the cash and carry banner, um, and by that I mean that 
you know, it's it's a very large sort of warehouse format where customers come in and mostly pay cash for goods and uh, carry those goods out themselves. Um, that banner is has been performing pr- fairly well over time, um, and GPA has actually been converting um, some of its stores, existing stores, into uh, cash and carry format. Um, in the most recent quarter, um, Asai reported seven point four percent like for like growth. Um, in the second quarter, it was 2.5%, and in the first quarter, it was 5.1%. Um, one thing to also remember is that uh, the the grocer is benefiting, um, in at least in part, from um, heightened inflation in Brazil um, after you know about a year or so of uh, deflationary activity. And what has the company, uh, if anything, said about the full year for 18 going forward? Yeah, so in the, in the first quarter, um, the company gave guidance for uh, sales, same store sales growth above inflation at Asai and in line with food inflation at Multivereso, um, supporting continued market share gains um, with an adjusted EBITDA margin at 5.5% to 5.6% at Multivereso and 5.8% to 5.9% at Asai. Um, and over time, that that guidance has remained unchanged. So in the third quarter, the, the guidance was the same. Great. And um, you know, if you look at how the company has spent their money and invested in the business, what what sort of conclusions can you take from that? Yeah. So in the in the third quarter of 2018, capex for food investments was 488 million Brazilian reais, uh, up 9.3 percent year over year. And the company is, uh, it seems to be focusing its investments on three areas. So first, uh, as I touched upon earlier, the cash and carry business, you're seeing um, there were there were four stores opened, one of which was converted from um, a, a different format. Um, and around 20 stores are slated to open this year, including new stores and conversions. So first and foremost, the company is, is continuing to uh, expand its its cash and carry format. Um, secondly, you've got renovations of existing uh, Palgia Sukar stores. Um, so you had uh, 15 stores renovated in what's called uh, the seven generation concept, uh, six finished in September and another three stores undergoing renovation. Um, there's also uh, this fresh market model that's being tested out. Um, and um, essentially that, that just means uh, offering more sustainable foods um, and so that's another sort of strategy that the company is pursuing. Um, and then in addition, you've got uh, just re- revitalization of, of certain banners as well. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds like the, the company is basically focused on um, where it went, it, converting loss-making stores into cash and carry format and uh, where it identifies a potential opportunity revitalizing its stores. And is anything that they're doing similar to other guys in the industry, for instance, uh, Carrefour, uh, what are they doing? Yeah, so um, you know, just underscoring the importance of cash and carry in in Brazil, Carrefour is also converting um, some of its stores um, to to a cash and carry format. Um, it, the the company's third Carrefour's third quarter twenty eighteen sales presentation um, noted that the company had converted um, twelve stores in Argentina and one store in Brazil. So actually, that underscores um, the importance of cash and carry not just in Brazil but but really across the region. 
Great. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, it's moving along to the next situation. I wanted to discuss uh, Irwin, uh, Mexico City Airport Trust, or MexCat. It's a situation that has certainly gotten a lot of attention lately. Can you tell us about, uh, you know, starting with the 2017 bond issuance, if you could talk about that? Sure thing. Now, the Mexico City Airport Trust, price larger than expected, dual trench green issue in 2017 raising $4 billion through the sale of 10-year and 30-year notes. Uh, this was more than double the amount the issuer was looking to price. In addition, investor demand exceeded three times the principal amount of the notes priced. Uh, specifically, the airport trust priced $1 billion in 378 10-year notes at 99 spot 393 for yield of 3.945%, as well as a 3,5,5% 30-year bond at 99 spot 398 for yield of 5.542%. Demand for the 10-year issue exceeded 4.5 billion, whereas demand for the 30-year issue surpassed 10 billion. Thanks, uh, so, so definitely a big issue here. Um, Kyle, you know, talk to us about the, the trust itself, uh, if you could describe the capital structure for everybody. Sure. MexCat is a special purpose trust that was created under the laws of Mexico to buy and hold rights to collect passenger charges from uh, AICM, an existing airport, and GACM, which is a, the new airport. Um, the airports sold the rights to MexCat in exchange for proceeds uh, from the notes and from um, a credit agreement, which has since been paid down. Um, but turning to the capital structure, so you've got um, six billion of debt, um, and that is the the one billion of three point eight seven five percent notes to twenty twenty eight. One billion of four and a quarter notes due 2026, um, three billion five and a half percent notes due 2047, and then one billion five and a half percent notes due 46. Um, and the 26 notes um, are now trading um, around 83 to yield seven percent from the mid 90s in early October. Uh, the 28s are trading uh, around 7% yield, um, trading around 79 from the low 90s. Uh, turning to the long, longer dated notes, the 46 is around a 7.8% uh, yield, trading around 75 from the high 80s. And then the 47 is around the same, roughly around the same yield and, and trading around the same price also from the high 80s. Got and uh, looking at the the special purpose vehicle uh, obligation, what what secures them, and what's the governing law here? So the these are one forty four A bonds. They're governed by New York law, and they're going to be secured by a or they are secured. Sorry, by a first priority lien over, um, amongst other things, the right to collect the passenger charges. Uh, for the use of the existing airport, and then upon commencement of the commercial operations, uh, the new airport. Great. So let's talk about the situation now. Why have bonds fallen in, in just you know over a year uh, from par to they um, indicated in the 70s, like you had said? So uh, Mexico's incoming president, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, um, AMLO, called a vote 
across uh, 32 states and 438 municipalities uh, to choose between continuing construction of the Mexico City International Airport or scrapping it. Um, the, alter- the alternative plan would be um, to just go with the, the current International Airport, which is in Mexico City, um, while building two runways at the Santa Lucia uh, military base. Um, you know, fast forward to roughly uh, yeah, around the end of October, and the results showed that uh, Mexicans voted against the construction of the new Mexico City Airport. Um, the popular consultation uh, is not legally binding, um, but Jesus Ramirez, the incoming communication coordinator um, under AMLO, said that the government was going to act on the vote. Um, and then at a press conference on October 29th, AMLO confirmed uh, that the project uh, would be scrapped. Okay, uh, so you know, moving to, to, to parts of uh, the structure here, the FIBRA E trust certificates, um, what are those if you could talk about them? Yeah, sure. So FIBRA E um, is a Mexican energy and infrastructure investment vehicle. Uh, FIBRA E trusts are, are similar um, in structure to U.S. real estate investment trusts. And the, the FIBRA E, um, in this instance, was formed to hold an equity investment that is linked to the results um, of the old airport and, and the new airport. And so the way it works is uh, FIBRA E is managed by the new airport entity, um, and FIBRA E offered uh, roughly 272, $273 million trust certificates. Um, the net proceeds uh, from the offering were used to buy um, special preferred shares from GACM, the new airport entity, um, as well as a nominal interest in the new airport itself. And the objective is to achieve an internal rate of return over the shares equal to um, 10% on an inflation-adjusted basis. Um, and so the way that the, the distributions work is uh, as of January 1st, 2021, the issuer FIBRA E would receive a percentage of uh, GACM's distributable cash flow um, unless a mandatory acceleration date or a mandatory acceleration date due to cancellation occurs um, before January 1st, 2021. If that happens, then the issuer will get a distributable cash flow that accrues upon the acceleration date or the acceleration date due to cancellation. Got it. And, and, and continuing along with potential cancellation, um, what, what are the rights of the of bond and the FIBRI holders if uh, the concession is canceled? Sure. So the um, the bond documents, uh, the the uh, offering memoranda, um, state that uh, on the first quarterly date occurring after any loss of concession, the issuer will prepay ratably the outstanding amounts under the issuer's um, senior secured debt, including the credit agreement to the extent that it remains outstanding, the existing indentures, and the indentures equal to the amount. P- of any amounts payable to any sponsor or for the account of any sponsor arising from such loss of concession and the the bonds would be repaid at par uh, plus accrued interest. Um, And in the the, um, FIBRA-E offering memorandum, um, the the mandatory 
acceleration date uh, due to cancellation um, is the date of an that the date that an administrative act by an entity of the Mexican federal government causes the cancellation or indefinite suspension of the construction of the new airport and uh, the, the the loss of concession um, at least in the in the bond document means any concession is ter- ter- either terminated or revoked or any sponsor ceases uh, for any reason to be the person solely entitled to operate the existing airport um, or the new airport in accordance with the applicable concession. It's important to note that as of October 29th, according to GACM, the concession um, of the new airport continues in force. And uh, what are the, the next steps here? So the Fibra E investors are scheduled to meet on November 29th. Um, AMLO is will be inaugurated uh, officially on December 1st, um, and then the incoming government uh, plans to s- present its economic plan to Congress um, by December fifteenth at the latest. Great, um, thank you for that that overview, and um, appreciate it, Erwin, uh, Kyle. Uh, thank you very much, and Karen, back to you. That's all for this week. As a reminder, you can access all Reorg podcasts on the media page. If you're not a subscriber, you can find them on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm Karen Lung, and this has been The Week in Reorg.